I'd like you to turn in your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. If you're using the Pew Bible in the chair in front of you, it's page 1806, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Everyone has a weakness. Look around the congregation here this morning. Every person you see has a weakness. We all have one. I could list the weaknesses that I know about. I could just start naming them. I'm afraid if I did that, I might miss your weakness. And then you would say, I'm good. I don't have a weakness. He didn't, he didn't name mine. So we won't do that. We don't know what Paul's weakness was. But, but listen, even Paul, one of the greatest Christians who has ever lived, even Paul had a weakness. He was an apostle chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous man, and yet he said, I have a weakness. The next part that I wanted to talk about, it says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Well, that looks like it's kind of hard to understand. The Lord giving us a thorn in the flesh, allowing Satan to afflict us. That's telling us that we are human. Really, that's what Paul was saying, I'm a human. And to keep me from becoming conceited, that's to remind us that God wants us to be dependent upon him. We live in a humanistic age. Be self-sufficient. Do everything yourself. Rely on nobody. And God is saying to us, rely on me. Trust in me. And as far as Satan is concerned, this messenger from Satan, the weakness that we have that's, that's encouraged by Satan goes all the way back to the garden. 
with Adam and Eve when they sinned. And humanity then was afflicted with weaknesses. So, God allows us to have weaknesses. God allows us to struggle. The problem, the real problem, is that Satan exploits our weaknesses in order to destroy us. If you haven't figured it out yet, Satan is not our friend. And he's after us all the time. So we're in a rough spot. I served on a nuclear sub, and one of the men in my crew was a man named John. John was annoying, and he was aggravating. John had two problems. He had a superiority complex. He thought he was better than every other person. He thought everything he had was better than anything anyone else had. It was just John's better and John's stuff is better. And the other problem John had was that he had a really thin skin. Did you ever know anyone like that? You tease them a little bit and pretty soon they go off like a Roman candle. And that's exactly what John did. And when you're with a crew of 120 sailors who go out to sea for 75 days at a time and stay submerged, and your whole world is 425 feet long and 33 feet wide, you can be certain that one of the favorite pastimes is to pick on the people that you're around. It just happens. Well, just before we went on patrol, John had been to Disneyland and he had purchased a, a beautiful coffee cup. The outside of the coffee cup had these molded uh, Disney characters, and it was, it was just a really nice cup. And So John immediately started throwing that cup into our faces. I've got a better cup than you, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And wherever John was, he would have that cup in his hand, or he'd have it looped into his belt. Well, I don't know why sailors do crazy things, but just before we went on patrol, two of the sailors went down to the beach, and they found these clamshells, small clamshells, and they filled a bag with those clamshells and brought them aboard the sub and stowed them in the bilges, uh, you know, knowing what, what in the world we're going to do with those, who knows. I wasn't one of, one of the ones who did it, by the way. Anyway, about three weeks into the patrol, things were getting a little monotonous. So some of the guys decided they were going to liven things up a little. So uh, they stole John's coffee cup while he was sleeping. And they pulverized a piece of glass that looked like his coffee cup. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a piece of this broken glass... And we're going to write a note, and it's going to be signed by the Phantom Clam. So we're going to leave a piece of glass and a clamshell and a note everywhere John goes, and he's going to think his coffee cup has been destroyed. So, so the day that it started, John gets up to go into the dining hall to eat his meal before he goes to his watch station, 
And right there where he always sat, because we were creatures of habit, we always sat in the same place in the dining hall. And there at John's place was a piece of glass and a note and a clamshell. John immediately stood up and said, all right, who has my cup? You better give it back. I'll tell you, there's going to be trouble if I don't get my cup back really soon. Everybody just kind of snickering, you know. That's exactly what they wanted to happen. He goes back to his place of watch, the same thing. Goes to his bunk that night, same thing, note, glass, clamshell. Well, it went on for a couple of days. The prank had run its course. They gave John his cup back. The patrol progressed. We were about two weeks from, from finishing our patrol. I had gone back to the engineering station. There was a room in the very back of the sub. It was an 8 by 12 room. And in that room, there were three panels. There was a mechanical control panel. There was an electric control panel and a reactor control panel. And I was at the reactor control panel. That was my job. And there was an engineering officer that stood behind us and had overall supervisory status for that room. And when your job time came, you had to be there. You weren't to be late. And so I had relieved my watch. The mechanical operator had relieved his watch. John was supposed to be the electric plant operator, and he wasn't there. So the engineering officer started calling around the sub has anyone seen John? Where's John? Where's John? About that time, John pops into the engineering room. He wasn't like he normally was. He had a glazed, glazed look on his eyes. He just looked abnormal. But what was really troubling was he had a great big butcher knife stuck in his belt. He walked in and relieved the electric plant operator and sat down. And he loudly proclaimed, he said, if anybody teases me tonight, they're going to get the sharp end of this knife. At that, the engineering officer was out the back door. He was gone. I knew where he was going. He was going to go get the ship's doctor. We had a physician aboard with us always. The doc came back, and he came over alongside John, and started talking with him, and pretty soon John gave him the knife, and he took John out, the engineering, out of the engineering room. John was placed in a straitjacket for about 48 hours. The last time I saw John was when he was going down the pier with a couple of guys in white coats headed to a psychiatric facility. You know, in the years since that's happened, I've thought about it. I know John did not have the Lord in his life. He was not a born-again Christian. He didn't even really believe in God. I was thinking, if I would have been John, I might have reacted the same way he did. You know, we really, really do need the Lord in our lives. We need God's grace. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I loved it when we sang earlier, your grace is enough. God's grace. You know, I, I think everything that comes from the Lord is under the 
umbrella of grace. The provenient grace that finds us when we're lost. Saving grace. Sanctifying grace. Encouraging grace when our heart is breaking. And the strength to make it through with our weaknesses. God's grace is more than adequate. My grace is sufficient for you. I, I, don't, I don't think we really realize how significant that statement is. You know, sometimes we make this little acrostic that says God's grace, or, or uh, yeah, <laughs> help me, Pastor. God's are at Christ's expense. I, I just lost a word. You, you know, you get old, that's what happens. But God, God's riches, thank you, thank you. God's riches at Christ's expense. We, we need God's grace. We need his riches. We need his undergirding. We need his strengthening. And fortunately, though everyone has a weakness and though Satan exploits our weakness, God has a prescription to keep us from destruction to which our weakness would lead us. We, we would be destroyed because of our weakness if we were not for the prescription that God gives to us. And so we need, first of all, to accept our weakness, to acknowledge the fact that we have one. I want to tell you, I don't think there's a weaker person in here than me or one that has more, more weaknesses to deal with. I'm the personification of weakness. Over my life, I've struggled with a lot of things, but I'll tell you this, every time I've struggled, God has come through. So I accept the fact that I have weakness. I trust that he's working on my behalf. You know, faith is so important. It says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a diligent rewarder of those who seek him. So we accept the fact that we have weakness. We trust in the Lord. Trust means to have faith in God. That he is able. I want to tell you another story. In 1978, I was at a Billy Graham crusade in Kansas City. It was... The seventh day of the crusade, the last service, it was in Royal Stadium on a Sunday afternoon. The stadium was absolutely packed with people. You, could, you couldn't have found a seat if you weren't already there when it started. I was seated right behind a third base dugout and there was a platform right in the middle of the infield with a ramp up onto the platform. And I watched as this wheelchair was wheeled out from the dugout area and it was wheeled out across the infield over to the ramp. And there was a young lady in the wheelchair. She looked like a 
a stone statue. She wasn't moving anything. She was, she was, like I say, she was like a statue. And they wheeled her up the ramp, wheeled her onto the platform. And the crusade began. Cliff Barrows led us in songs. Ethel Waters was on the platform. Billy Graham was on the platform. George Beverly Shea, all of those, all of those wonderful people. And uh, we sang a song, Cliff Barrows led us in a song, and then he said, we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Johnny Erickson. She's from Baltimore, Maryland. And my ears really perked up when he said Baltimore, Maryland, because our family had just moved from a town that was about halfway between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, and so I was very familiar with the area. And I was really anxious to hear this young lady's story. And they wheeled her to the microphone and she said, I dived into the Chesapeake Bay and I struck my head on the bottom. And she said, I broke my neck. And she said, I'm a quadriplegic. I can't use my hand, or hands or arms or feet or legs. And she said, when I was in that hospital in Baltimore, they had me in a striker bed. And she said, I would, I would be facing down for a certain amount of time, and then they would flip the bed, and then I would be facing up. And she said, that just kept going on and on and on. And she said, one day, I told the Lord. And she was a, a born-again Christian. She said, I told the Lord, I don't want to live anymore. Lord, please take me. I cannot live my life like this. And she said it was as if a person was standing in the room speaking in a normal voice. She said, I heard God say to me, Johnny, you are not done with the work that I have for you. And let's fast forward now to present time. Johnny Erickson taught and now married. She served on the Disability Council for the United States Department of State. She's an acclaimed author. She's written many books. Her books have sold in the millions of copies. Every single day she's on 1,000 broadcast outlets, even today. She's one of the most in-demand speakers there is for women's conferences, for disability conferences particularly. She has founded a group that's, that's responsible for reaching out to the disabled. She's founder of what's called Johnny and Friends. She's a great artist. I, I don't... I don't know if you can afford one of her original paintings. I can't. Her paintings are really valuable. Tell you, an outstanding Christian. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people today will point to Johnny as the person who helped them to get their life in order and to deal with their weakness. Can... can can you imagine a, a greater picture of weakness than Johnny Erickson Tata? 
She, she can only move her, her head. And yet she's, I, I think she's like 72 years old or 73 now, something like that. And she has lived her life victoriously. She has lived victoriously. And the reason that she's lived her life, her life so victoriously is that she has allowed God's, God's grace to infuse her, to strengthen her, to help her. That is why for Christ's sake, you know, change in slides area. Keep going one more. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a prescription the world doesn't understand. That's, that's foolishness. Through my weakness, God can make me strong. Through my weakness, God can accomplish his work and his will. Yes. It's, it's our weakness oft, that often attracts others to us. They notice us because of our weakness, and then we, they see how we deal with our weakness, and they know that we couldn't do that on our own. And then we're able to share that Christ is working through us and in us. For when I am weak, I am strong. I remember when I was in high school. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you can go back this far. Probably not too many, but some can. Back when I was in high school, uh, white suede shoes became really popular. They called them white bucks. Any of you remember white bucks? Well, anyway, my family was pretty poor, but my mom got me a pair of white bucks. And uh, I remember wearing them to school one day, high school. And I had a lot of really good friends. And you know what those good friends did? They stomped all over my white bucks. And so by the time lunch hour was over, my white bucks looked like they had been dragged up from the city dump. I was really heartbroken. And what was really sad was I had to give a speech in one of my classes that day. And I had to stand up in front of the class with those dirty, smudged white bucks, which originally were intended to be my glory, <laughs> and they became my embarrassment. Now, I don't know what happened in me, but after that time, and I, I just barely stumbled through that speech, after that time I had a, a tremendous fear of speaking before people. It's amazing how things that happen in our, our early years can, can stick with us for so long. But I remember when God was calling me to full-time Christian ministry, and I knew that if I became a pastor, I was going to have to preach. And all I could think about in those early years was those white bucks. And I was thinking, Lord, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can preach. And the Lord said, well, you know, you don't have to worry about it. It's not your problem. It's mine. You just give yourself to me, and I'll take care of all the rest. 
Isn't that wonderful? That when we give ourselves to the Lord, he begins to work through us. Commit your weakness to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up now. Commit your weakness to Jesus. Trust in him to use you as he desires. God's the one that's got the plan. He's the one that knows how he wants to use us. We accept our weakness and we give it to him. I took some people from this church with me to, to the Union Gospel Mission this week and I was preaching a sermon down there about taking those things that you're concerned about in the palms of your hands and then just turning those hands over and letting those things drop into the hands of Jesus and committing and trusting everything to Jesus. And that's literally what we do. And we delight in the peace that he gives us. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. He gives us a peace. Give everything to him. Trust in him. Delight in the peace that he's going to give you. And then just rest in him. Live your life in a restful state. You know, I'm telling myself that this morning. And sometimes I'm not very good at resting. Sometimes I'm not good at committing. Sometimes I'm not good at trusting. Sometimes I'm not good at delighting, but I work at it. God is in our lives. He is interested in us. He wants to help us. He wants to strengthen us and bless us. Give your weakness to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will see you through.